much. So we're looking here in Luke 23, 27-33. And I'll go ahead and read the passage, so at least we'll have it in our minds. And it says here in verse 27, And there followed him a great company of people, and of women, which also bewailed and lamented him. But Jesus, turning unto them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming in the which they shall say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bear, and the paps which never gave suck. Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? And there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. So, we now come to the place in Luke's gospel where Jesus is being led through the streets of Jerusalem towards Calvary. That's what Luke calls it. He calls it Calvary, which is a hill at the time was located just outside of the city walls of Jerusalem. Now the word Calvary here is the Greek word cranium, from which we get the word cranium, from which we get the word skull. Okay, uh, Matthew, Mark, and John, they call this place uh, Golgotha. And Golgotha is the Aramaic or the Hebrew that means the same thing. It means the place of a, of a skull, place of a skull. Now, as with, as with things like this, of course, there's a, a lot of debate about the actual location of this particular place called Golgotha or Calvary. And uh, it's, you know, folks who go to Jerusalem, they claim uh, that they've seen the very place, the actual place that uh, Christ was crucified. Uh, Some will take you to one place and others will take you to another place. Uh, But generally what happens in these kind of things, these debates that go on about such things, uh, I believe it just simply serves as a distraction. The people seem to focus on uh, the place more so than the reason why Jesus was crucified. And so because they can't identify the actual place, for some reason this affects their, their faith. And that's just the wrong thing, the wrong thing to focus on. And people, we just have a tendency to focus, focus on the wrong things. And besides that, now I've never been to Jerusalem, but you know, I know, I've seen pictures, I've heard people who have gone to Jerusalem, uh, generally, there, you know, places like this, what generally happens is that somebody builds a church on this spot. And so this spot becomes a, a place of, uh, well, in some people's minds, a place of idolatry. They worship more the place than, you know, what happened. In fact, we had a friend of ours that went to, went to Jerusalem and Israel, and he had the joke. That they even that they even built a church out on the water where Jesus walked on the water. Now that, that's a joke, but that's the way we are, isn't it? That's just the way we are. We have a tendency to to not focus on the right things. Kind of like the folks in Second Kings eighteen four, 
where they were burning incense to the brazen altar that Moses made back in Numbers. They had taken that brazen, or not brazen altar, but brazen serpent. And they had taken that brazen serpent and they ter- turned it into an object of worship. And we do that all the time. We, we just get out of whack in our, in our focus. We get out of whack in our focus. And so we have a way of turning what is sacred into something ridiculous. And we cheapen the truth in the name of spirituality or religious mysticism or whatever. In fact, I, I saw a place um, in a Cave City, Kentucky... Uh, it was a, an amusement park, and they called it the Golgotha Fun Park. And it was simply designed to attract gullible Christians to get their money. But can you imagine a Golgotha Fun Park? If you had any concept at all what took place on Golgotha, that was not, not a fun park. But that's just what we do. We just we turn things, uh, we commercialize things. We turn things that are sacred into something tawdry or something maudlin. You know, like Jesus is forever on the cross in some people's minds. He's not. He's not on the cross anymore. So anyway, uh, moving on, it says here, I want to kind of turn things around, turn things backwards a little bit. I want to talk a little bit. It says here in verse 32, he says, And there were also two, two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. So along with Jesus, there were two other men who were be who were to be crucified. And Luke uses the word malefactor. All right, he uses the word malefactor. That simply means an evildoer, a transgressor, a, a criminal. And uh, the crime that these men were condemned by uh, was the crime of thievery. And that's what Matthew's gospel tells us, that these men were thieves, and that's why they were they were crucified with Jesus. Matthew 27:38 says, then, there were, then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. Now, if you were a freeborn Roman citizen, if you were caught as a thief, then you would be flogged and then sold into a lifetime of slavery. Everybody else, like the slaves and those who weren't actual Roman citizens, well, they were put to death. They were put. They either were strangled or they were crucified, and so that's what was going on here uh, with these two thieves. Uh, they were uh, condemned to die because of their thievery. Now, again, we have a tendency to get out of whack sometimes. I recall as a brand new believer uh, at uh, TWA, there was an older gentleman. He was. He was um, revered among the Christians in the in the in the in the Bay. He had a Bible study session, and uh, in one of his Bible study s- sessions, he made the point that uh, the church had made an error for hundreds of years, and and all most of the preachers that preach today were wrong because uh, he claimed that uh, there were four. Criminals crucified with Jesus rather than two. And he made a big deal out of this. 
And so I asked him, how, how did he come up with this? And he said, well, Luke mentions two malefactors and the other gospel mentioned uh, two thieves. So you've got two malefactors, two thieves, two plus two equals four. Now, I was a brand new believer and there were folks there and he was not challenged on this. He wasn't challenged on this because, you know, he was a, he was a Bible teacher. You know, he was one of those guys that, you know, you would go to. And so, he also said, you know, if you stop and think about it logically, when they went to break their legs, they went to one and broke his legs, they went to another and broke his legs, and then they came to Jesus. So it's like one, two, there's Jesus, inferring that there's two more. Right? So that was his argument. So... This went unchallenged, but there was something in me telling me, wait a minute, this, this just doesn't sound right. Remember, I'm a brand new believer. What do I know? Well, what I did know enough was to, to go home and study it out. And that's what I did. I went home and I, and I got my little Bible out. Actually, it was my wife's Bible because I didn't own one at the time. So I got my wife's Bible out and I'm looking through her Bible and I'm looking at this stuff. Even right here in Luke's gospel, what does it say? One on the right hand and the other on the left. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Matthew's gospel says, one on the right hand and another on the left. Mark's gospel says, the one on his right hand and the other on his left. Okay. John's gospel says, uh, and two, uh, two, two other with him on either side one. And Jesus in the midst. Okay. Well, what about the progression? What about going down the line, breaking the legs? Well, I read that. John nineteen thirty one through 34. The Jews, therefore, because it was a preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was a high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and brake the legs of the first and then of the other, which was crucified with him. And when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they brake not his legs. Now, if there were two other thieves or two other malefactors, why doesn't John mention them? Well, I'll tell you why. Because they weren't there. <laughs> they weren't there. So long story short, this young believer who didn't know up from down and went back to this fella and I showed him what I'd find out what I found out and I read to him clearly from the Bible and he still insisted that he was right he still insisted that he was right so I told him that if he, if he had gotten something so clear so wrong I didn't want to be a part of this Bible study anymore. And I left. And I left. 
But today, you don't have that. You don't have that. Now, I was a very young man in the Lord. Like I said, I didn't know this or that. But I did know enough to check it out. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? And I'm not sharing this story to make myself sound like I'm a super saint. Because if you guys know me, you know I'm not a super saint. I make mistakes. I say stupid things all the time. But I will say this, as a young believer, I learned a very important lesson that day. And that lesson was, study to show thyself approved. I learned a very lesson that day. Just because somebody is a teacher or preacher of the word doesn't necessarily mean that what they say is always truth. Is always truth. I like what a pastor said a long time ago. He said, just because it sounds spiritual doesn't make it biblical. Do you, remember, do you know who I'm talking about? And he's absolutely right. He had a lot of other things wrong in his life, but he certainly, he certainly had that right. Just because it sounds spiritual doesn't necessarily mean it's biblical. That's good, sound advice. Now, I strive to be biblically correct. I was just talking with Vicki this morning. And I thought the Old Testament said something. So we went and checked it out. I wasn't right. I'm still going to check it out. (laughs) I, I try to be correct. And I don't claim to be without error. I mean, even... We've got a great preacher and teacher in Brian. But he can be wrong. We can all be wrong. Check it out. Check it out. You know, I've had folks come up to me and tell me about things that I've gotten wrong. Uh, I had a man come up to me and he confronted me one time about my reference to Jesus as the second Adam. And he's absolutely right. He says the Bible doesn't say he was the second Adam. He is the last Adam. Because if you say he's the second Adam, then that infers what? There's a third and a fourth and a fifth. He was absolutely right. Now, I appreciate that. But please, don't come to me because you don't like the way I part my hair or, or something like that, Right? But if it's something that's in the scriptures, please, please tell me. Please tell me. Please tell me. Now, I say all of this because of the spirit of the age in which we live today. What church age are we all living in today? Anybody? Laodicean. That's the last church age according to Revelations 1 through 3. So we're in the very end of this uh, drama. And one of the issues of the Laodicean church is there is no biblical discernment. I don't know why. Are we too lazy? Or do we simply take what we hear as truth 
because it sounds good? Is it because believers today aren't encouraged to teach or to study the Word of God out for themselves? You know, I had a pastor one time, a long time ago, tell me to put the book down because it was his job to tell me what it says. No. No. That's not biblical. But this is an earmark of the age in which we live today. No discernment. No discernment. 2 Timothy 4.3 says, For the time will come, and we're there, folks, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall, heap, shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned on to fables. <laughs> Some of you are going to say, well, here he goes again. I would be remiss if I don't warn people. I would be held accountable for that. You know, there's much error being propagated in the church today that's being accepted and received gladly. Gladly. It's permeated the praise music we sing, the books we purchase to read. I went to, you know, I I go to these big Bible bookstores looking for a commentary. You're not going to find it. You're not going to find it. Books we purchase to read, the popular preachers, both men and women... And I'm not going to touch on that. We listen to them on the radio. We watch them on television. And we see them on YouTube. They're on Facebook. It's out there. Just constantly, constantly out there. And it's all about one spirit being moved. Or this really speaks to my spirit. My question is, what spirit is being moved and what spirit is speaking to you? 1 John 4, 1 says, Beloved, believe not every spirit. But try the spirits whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. That's a very clear warning. So I'm not telling you anything that's not found in the Bible. Hereby know ye this capital S Spirit of God. Every little s spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Let me say that again. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. That's going to be important. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. Do you understand that there is a spirit of Antichrist, and then there is the actual Antichrist? Well, the spirit of Antichrist that's alive and well in the world is preparing this world for who? The Antichrist. Socially, 
government, guess where else? The church. The church. He's not leaving any stone unturned. How do we test the spirits? Because it testifies to my spirit? Can I trust my spirit? Can my spirit be manipulated by its emotions? You bet it can. So how do I test the spirit? Not by the way it makes me feel all good inside. No, we test the spirits by the word of God. By the Bible. By the Bible. Again, you're probably wondering, oh, here he goes again. He's ranting on about this again. It seems such a trivial matter. Two thieves versus four thieves. What does this have to do with Jesus going to the cross? What does this have to do with Jesus and the daughters of Jerusalem? (laughs) Well, let me tell you. It's the little foxes that spoil the vines, according to Song of Solomon 2.15. And there's been so many little foxes set loose that we've become accustomed to them. We've become accustomed to them. We've become comfortable with them. And we're not even aware how they've spoiled the tender grapes. Now, the matter of the two malefactors, it's not so much whether there's two or four, but it's a fulfillment of Scripture. It's a fulfillment of Scripture. Isaiah 53, 12 says, Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, the thieves, the malefactors. And he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. That's the issue. Fulfillment of Scripture. The innocent Lamb of God, unjustly accused and condemned, was numbered with the transgressors in fulfillment of the scriptures. What is the one thing that God elevates even above his own name? The Word of God. The Word of God. Jesus himself said he came to fulfill the law. Matthew 5.17 says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. It is the scriptures. What passes for Christianity today is like a Golgotha fun land. <laughs> that's in a state of decay that particular park in Kentucky is closed down and fallen apart and that's the way Christianity is today it's it's designed to attract crowds and collect money the praise music is more about superficial emotionalism that shifts the focus from God to who? Me, myself, and I. It's more about the performance and the entertainment rather than worship centered in the Word of God. 
Now, understand, I'm not against praise music. I'm not. There's some of it I sing. What I am against is the spirit of the age that's propagating this shallow, unbiblical worship. And the church is receiving it gladly. And those who stand up and speak out, they're labeled legalistic or non-progressive or archaic or stick in the muds. Well, that's okay. They did that with the Old Testament prophets. The epistle of Jude calls for contenders for the faith, not compromisers. One man said, God always works in agreement with his word. Whatever is not according to his word is not of God. Quite frankly, a lot of what's going on today is not according to his word. Therefore, it's not of God. Now you're probably wondering, what does this have to do with the daughters of Jerusalem? Because of the prophetic aspect of the daughters of Jerusalem. As Jesus is being led to the streets, and these daughters of Jerusalem are lamenting and weeping for him, Jesus turns to them and he says, Don't weep for me, weep for yourselves and for your children. For the days are coming. For the days are coming in the which they shall say, Blessed are the barren and the wounds that never bear and the paps which never gave suck. What is Jesus talking about here? Coming judgment, isn't he? Coming judgment. These daughters of Jerusalem who are weeping for Jesus, Jesus says, don't weep for me. You need to weep for yourselves. Coming judgment. Now you're going to read some commentaries and they're going to tell you that these daughters of Jerusalem were a group of women who would follow behind the condemned and weep for them so that the condemned would at least have somebody lament their passing. That's not good biblical study. Not good Bible study. The daughters of Jerusalem are mentioned in a lot of different places in the Old Testament. See, Jesus is not looking pity from, from, these, from these gals. He's not looking for pity. What he's trying to do is he's trying to warn them. He's trying to warn them of judgment to come. And these women, like the, all of the Jews, except for a very few, they failed to comprehend what was truly passing before their eyes because they were spiritually blind to what was going on here. Not unlike the church today not unlike the church today what's amazing to me is in the midst of his suffering Jesus turns in pity and care for these people he still has a heart for these people trying to warn them trying to warn them trying to exhort them And yes, judgment did come in 70 AD, but there's even a greater judgment to come that we know of as the Great Tribulation. And these daughters of Jerusalem, like I said, they're found in other places in the Bible, like the Song of Solomon. 
And the Song of Solomon and the daughters of Jerusalem are mentioned seven times, and each time is a positive mention. And I know it's popular to teach that the Song of Solomon is a picture of, of Christ and his love for the church. And yeah, there's a lot that, we can, that can be said about this. But actually what the Song of Solomon really is, is the remnant falling in love with their Messiah King as he returns. That's the doctrinal setting of the Song of Solomon in the Old Testament. The Shulamite maid is a type of the faithful remnant of the tribulation period. Song of Solomon 2.11 talks about when the winter is past and the rain is over. That winter and that rain, there is a tribulation context behind those things. The last of the wisdom books, Song of Solomon, you can read it as a history of God's love for his chosen people, Israel. Song of Solomon 1.5 says, I am black, but comely, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, as the tents of Keter, as the curtains of Solomon. Look not upon me, because I am black, because the sun hath looked upon me. My mother's children were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard have I not kept. How many times did Jesus refer to the Jews and not keeping the vineyard? Isaiah talks about the Jews not keeping the vineyard and allowing it to become overgrown with cucumbers of all things. As Jesus was being led away and these daughters of Jerusalem were lamenting and crying... The kingdom of heaven had been put on hold. And all that the Jews had before them was judgment because of the rejection of the Messiah. The black skin is not so much the color of one's skin, but it also talks about the blackness of sin. The unkept vineyard. The unkept vineyard. Chapter 3 of Song of Solomon speaks about a nightmare that the maid had experienced. Typifying the tribulation period that the faithful Jewish remnant will experience during the, what a nightmare it will be. Dark and terrifying nights. And then in Psalm, Song of Solomon 3 6, who is this that cometh out of the wilderness like pillars of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, with all powders of the merchants? And then the chapter concludes with a coronation of this coming one and the daughters of Jerusalem being present. And the Song of Solomon itself concludes with the king leading his beloved from the wilderness. Psalms 8.5, who is this that cometh up from the wilderness leaning upon her beloved? Let me ask you a question. In Revelations 12.14, who goes into the wilderness to be protected? The Jewish remnant during the tribulation period. And when Jesus Christ returns, he's going to bring that Jewish remnant out of the wilderness and into safety.
the desire of the faithful Jewish remnant during the time of great tribulation is seen here in Solomon 8.14. Make haste, my beloved, and be thou like to a roe or to a young heart upon the mountain of spices. They're looking for his return. They're looking for his return. In Zechariah 12.9, it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, that's praying. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only begotten, his only son. And they shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. It's at that time when it looks bleakest that they will call upon the name of the Lord and shall be saved. Daughters of Jerusalem is also known as the daughters of Zion. These are the Old Testament saints, the redeemed, that will come into the kingdom when Jesus comes and establishes the kingdom. Song of Solomon 3.11 Go forth, O ye daughters of Zion, and behold King Solomon with the crown wherewith his mother crowned him in the day of his espousals, in the day of the gladness of his heart. You know, when Jesus spoke to the Jews, he informed them, what? That there was one among him them who was greater than Solomon. Luke 11.31, the queen of the south shall rise up in judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the utmost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Who was he talking about? He was talking about himself. He's talking about himself. When Jesus spoke to the daughters of Jerusalem here in Luke 23, he wasn't talking about a future day of celebration and coronation. He was talking about judgment to come. Judgment to come. And he said, those who lamented their being barren are going to rejoice because they didn't give children in these days. That's how bad it's going to be. Look at verse 30 of Luke 23. Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. Where have we read that before? That's always in a, in a judgment or tribulation context. Isaiah 2.19 And they shall go into the holes of the rocks and into the caves of the earth for fear of the Lord and for the glory of his majesty. When he arises to shake terribly the earth, Hosea 10.8, the high places also of Avon, the sin of Israel shall be destroyed, the, the thorn and the thistle shall come up on their altars, and they shall say to the mountains, cover us, and to the hills, fall on us. Revelation 6.16, and they said to the mountains and, and rocks, fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. Tribulation judgment again in Lamentations 2.13 what thing shall I take to, to take to witness for thee what thing shall I liken to thee O daughter of Jerusalem what shall I equal to thee that I may comfort thee O virgin of Zion for thy breach is great like the sea who can heal thee thy prophets have seen vain and foolish things for thee and they have not discovered thine iniquity to turn away thy captivity but have seen for thee false burdens 
and, and causes of banishment. That's Jeremiah after the fall of Jerusalem. And the evil that came upon the people of Israel was the false prophets who were preaching a false message that was not from God. Remember, if it's not from the word of God, then God's not in it. The same danger we see in the church today. Matthew 17, what does Jesus warn us about those clothed in lamb's clothing? He called them wolves. Paul the Apostle in Acts 20.20, he also warned of these wolves. Even in the midst of the church, he warned of these wolves. Lamentations 2.15, All that pass by clap their hands at thee, they hiss and wag their head at the daughter of Jerusalem, saying, Is this the city that men call the perfection of beauty, the joy of the whole earth? All thine enemies have opened their mouth against thee. They hiss and gnash the teeth. They say, we have swallowed it up. Certainly this is the day that we look for. We have found, we have seen it. Here we see a people who have fallen away into apostasy, taken captive by their enemies. This is the scenario that we've seen with God's people time and time and time again. And again, the church is warned. The church is warned. Just like the Jews were warned. There are those who pose as our friends, but in reality are our enemies. Second Peter 2.18 For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error, while they promise them liberty... They themselves are the servants of corruption, for of whom a man is overcome, of the same he is brought in bondage. Just as the Jews of the old were brought into bondage under the false prophets, so the church today. In Jesus' day, the religious leadership who held to the traditions of men over the word of God, loading upon the people burdens that they themselves would not carry, they were more concerned about ceremony than, than reality and substance. They deceived the people while they themselves were deceived. So much so were they deceived that they failed to see what was going on right before them as Jesus was being led to the streets to his crucifixion. This is consistent. This is consistent. Whether it's with the daughters of Jerusalem or it's with the church. But all is not bleak and dark as far as the daughters of Jerusalem are concerned. There is also great blessing. Micah 4 7, and I will make her that halted a remnant, and her that was cast off of a strong nation. And the Lord shall reign over them in Mount Zion from henceforth, even forever. And thou, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, unto thee shall it come, even the first dominion. The kingdom shall come to the daughters, daughter of Jerusalem. Good times are coming. Good times are coming. 
Zephaniah 3.13 the remnant, the remnant of Israel shall not do iniquity nor speak lies neither shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth for they shall feed and lie down and none shall make them afraid sing O daughter of Zion shout O Israel be glad and rejoice with all the heart O daughter of Jerusalem the Lord hath taken away thy judgments he hath cast out thine enemy the king of Israel even the Lord is in the midst of thee thou shalt not see evil anymore what's the key word there? Remnant. Remnant. The faithful. Those who held to the truth. The remnant. God always, always has his remnant. Those are the faithful of God's chosen people. The remnant of Israel. They are the ones who will inherit the kingdom of heaven on earth. It happened in 70 AD and it's going to happen again in the great tribulation you know Jesus says here about the green tree for if they do these things in a green tree what shall be done in the dry now a green tree that's the beginning isn't it that's when there's still life in it that's when it's shooting forth its leaves it's stretching toward the sun those are early days the dry tree speaks of the end of things no longer fruitful leaves are withered wood is hard and dry it's it's a conclusion of things Psalm 37 35 says I have seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a green bay tree that's what's going on judgment fell on Jerusalem in 70 AD and there's yet judgment to come yet judgment to come we looked at that in, in Luke 21. Remember when I had that big old timeline and graph up here? Let me remind you of what Luke 21, 31 through 36 says. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples, not the Jews, those who follow Jesus. He says, so likewise ye, when ye see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Again, what is the emphasis here? God's word. And he says to us, take heed to yourselves. Least at any time your hearts be overcharged with serviting and drunkenness and cares of this life. And so that day come upon you unawares. For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore, and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass, and to stand before the Son of Man. You know, when Jesus turned to the daughters of Jerusalem, he said, Weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. You see, Jesus wasn't asking 
pity from anybody. He wasn't asking sympathy from anybody. What he wanted to do was warn them. Because he's a good God. He's not willing that any should perish. Even those who are leading him away to be crucified. Jesus isn't asking for anyone's sympathy today. (laughs) He's no longer hanging on a cross as some choose to portray him. He's no longer there. Where is he at? He's sitting on the right hand of majesty. That doesn't sound like anybody that needs sympathy. See, what Jesus seeks for men today is sincere faith in him, a genuine, genuine change of heart and mind seen in a, in a sanctified life, uh, being willing to be obedient, having that attitude of genuine worship of, of spirit and truth. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. You can't have one without the other. You can't have one to the exclusion of the other. You can't elevate one from another. It's spirit and truth. And it's the neglect of the Bible that makes so many prey to false teachers and shallow worship. Now, again, understand I'm not picking on praise music or anything like that. What I'm concerned about is the spirit of the age that the church is buying into. That's a good point. That, that's a good point. That's a very good point. Uh, let me share you with something. Um, anybody know who Bill Johnson is? He's one of the big wigs in Bethel Church. Bethel's huge in the praise music. Uh, this is what he teaches. He teaches that he gets downloads of new information from God. That's what, he, that's what he says. He teaches that the Bible is a good starting point. Okay, it's a good starting point that has useful information about God. But if one truly wants to know God, then they need to get these downloads into their spirit. Yeah, it sounds familiar, doesn't it? Just asking for a friend. Yeah. <laughs> what does First John say? Try the spirits. Try the spirits. According to him, it's the little s spirit that that determines truth and not the word of God. Because the word of God is inadequate to provide truth it's a good starting place it's a good starting place alright let's go to a good starting place 1st Timothy chapter 3 
15 through 16. 1 Timothy chapter 3, 15 through 16. Paul's writing to Timothy. He says, but if I tarry long, well, first of all, verse 14, I'm sorry, let's go up to verse 14. Context, Vicky, context. These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the, li- of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Well, let me share with you a download that Bill Johnson and Bethel teach. They have what's called a kenosis theory. And the kenosis theory is this, that Jesus emptied himself of his divinity, and as he walked on the earth, he was nothing more than just a human being during his earthly ministry, he was a man and nothing more. Empowered by God, but not divine. This is not new uh, downloaded information, folks. This is old heresy resurrected. This is the same stuff that Jehovah Witnesses preach. During the early church, back in, I think it's the second century, I may not be absolutely correct on that, but there was a, her- there was a heresy known as Arianism, by, taught by a, a false teacher by the name of Arian. And his teaching was that Jesus was nothing more than a created being, not divine, and not a person of the Holy Trinity. He was just a man. This is old stuff. This is not a new download. Both the Kenosis and Arian heresies deny Jesus' divinity. Both are false gospels, both promoting a false Christ. Bethel. And according to Anathasius, I probably butchered his name, he's the guy who lived during this time, he's the one who stood toe-to-toe against this heresy, and preached against it. It's the third century, I think. The third century. And he preached against it. And he gave biblical evidence that this guy was wrong. And that Jesus was indeed very man and very God. Well, this is, this is interesting. This is what he said. He said that this heresy was easily promoted through the churches through songs and jingles that promoted the heresy. Did you hear what he said? This heresy was promoted through songs and jingles. Bethel repeatedly states that their popular contemporary praise music is a fishing pole to lure people to their church and to their books. (laughs) 
why any church who claims to believe the Bible would choose to include music from this heretical place is beyond me. But we do it all the time. It's on our radio all the time. The enemy is very sharp. He uses TV cartoons to indoctrinate children. And he uses praise music to bypass the Bible, setting heresy to a catchy melody. And all the while the church believes, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Again, I'm not attacking praise music. There's some good praise music out there. But unfortunately, there's no discernment. No discernment. Like the Golgotha Funland in Kentucky that lays in ruin, the church also lays in ruin because it doesn't have any discernment. Anything goes. Hey, it sounds spiritual, so it's got to be okay. It moves my spirit. It makes me feel good about God, so it's got to be okay. Jesus warned the daughters of Jerusalem of judgment to come due to religious leadership who held to the traditions of men over the word of God, concerned more with ceremony or in our day entertainment than substance, deceiving the people why they themselves are deceived. 1 Peter 4.17 says, For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God, and if it first begin at us, what shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel? <laughs> Again, I, I know I'm going to get tagged for this. I'm not preaching against praise music. I'm preaching against the spirit of the, of the age that's infiltrated the church. And the key word is remnant. Remnant. We want to be a remnant. We want to be a remnant. We want to be the faithful who hold fast to the word of God. And we're not going to be popular. And we're going to be the minority. But it's the remnant that goes into the kingdom. Now I've said this before, you know, when the rapture when, when I was a young believer, I always wondered about the rapture when all these people would disappear. What would what you know? So I'm I'm, pick, I'm, I'm, I'm I was imagining millions upon millions upon millions of people just vanishing. There may not be that many raptured. Possibly, there's a lot of churchianity going on. But how many of it is the remnant? I mean, even in one-time good Bible-believing churches, they're now teaching the church is going to go through the tribulation. Good, one-time good, solid Bible teachers. We want to be the remnant. We want to be the remnant. You know, Jesus' final words to the church age in Laodicea 
This is the download we need to hear. (laughs) I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. What does the word of God say about itself? It's gold tried in the fire. It's what it says. Make sure you get the right one. Because there's a lot of counterfeits out there. There's a lot of fool's gold out there. I counsel thee to buy of me gold, try it in the fire, that thou mayest be rich. And white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed. And that the shame, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with salve that thou mayest see. See, that's the problem. Just like these gals here not seeing what was taking place before them, that's the majority of Christianity today. And what was it that Jesus said? He said, watch and pray. You know, every once in a while, I've got to wash my eyes out. Because that spirit of the age is so subtle. And it sounds so spiritual. And it'll tell you there's four thieves, not two. Don't believe it. Check it out. Check it out. Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord, uh, for your word that it is the standard of truth. I thank you, Lord, that you have led me and guided me to that standard. I pray for our church that you would help us, Lord God, to be watchful, to be prayerful. And in spite of what goes on around us, may we always prove to be faithful, be that remnant. Help us, O Lord God, to be that remnant in our hearts. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.